Well, hey everybody, I'm Adam Shell, the pastor at Melbourne Heights, and welcome to our sermon podcast. In this episode of our podcast, we are continuing on in our sermon series called Above All. And throughout the series, we're talking about what the Apostle Paul refers to in Philippians 2 verse 9 as the name above all names. We're talking about different names for God. But we're also all aware that there's an old adage that tells us you never get a second chance to make a first impression. This piece of advice is true whether you're interviewing for a job or going out on a date or just introducing yourself to somebody for the first time. And it's also true when it comes to God. When we first are introduced to God in the book of Genesis, God wants to make an impression that we will never forget. So let's get right into this episode sermon and see how we are first introduced to God. On May 24th, 1966, a little company called Botany 500 ran an ad in the Miami Herald. And I want to go ahead and put the ad up on the screen so that you can see it. Now, in this ad, they were advertising their classic line of sports coats and slacks. So they touted all the features that a well-dressed man was looking for back in the 1960s. They talked about the fact that their, their sports coats and slacks had a free and easy feeling. They talked about the design being tapered and firm and athletic. They even shared inside of the, the design, inside of their advertisement, that it offered just the right touch of the classic taste to please the gentleman. But that's not the reason why anybody actually remembers this ad. No, this ad is remembered because of the tagline that's in it. Now, the tagline in this ad is actually so well-known and so well-worded that it has been ascribed to everyone from the playwright and the poet Oscar Wilde all the way to the Hollywood star and humorist Will Rogers. But the tagline is probably best remembered because it used to be used in head-and-shoulders commercials. So what is that tagline? Well, you can see it at the very bottom if you kind of squint, but we'll put it up on the screen so that you can actually see it. That tagline is, you never get a second chance to make a first impression. You never get a second chance to make a first impression. Now, even though that tagline hasn't even existed for 60 years yet, that tagline has actually become words of advice that every single one of us have heard at one point or another at some way along the way. And it's also probably become advice that you've shared with other people in your life, too. Like maybe when your best friend from college was finally able to land that interview working for the company that she always dreamed of working for, you reminded her before she went into that interview, you never get a second chance to make a first impression. Or maybe you've got a coworker who is really excited that he's finally going to have the chance to meet in person someone that he first met on eHarmony after work comes to an end. So before he leaves the office at the end of the day, you remind him, you never get a second chance to make a first impression. Or maybe you have a niece or a nephew who decided that they wanted to move out to Hollywood to try to make it big, and they finally land their first audition. But before they go in to see that casting director, you may pass on that advice. You never get a second chance to make a first impression. But if I could tell you just one story that kind of epitomizes this advice, I'd have to tell you the story of a young man named Grant Kessler. Now, Grant his story kind of takes place back in 2016 when he was just 18 years old. And when he was 18 years old, he found out that one of his sisters was pregnant and he was going to become an uncle for the very first time. Now, when you're 18 years old, unless somebody invites you to go to prom with them or you get an acceptance letter from the college that you always wanted to attend, there aren't a whole lot of things that are more exciting than finding out that you're going to become an aunt or an uncle. And that was definitely the case for Grant Kessler. He was so excited to become an uncle that the day that his niece was born, he showed up to the hospital wearing a suit, 
a tie, and a pocket square. Now, one of his other sisters was so blown away by this that she snapped a picture of the whole thing, and she posted it on Twitter, you know, back when Twitter was still called Twitter instead of X or whatever it is today. And I want us to put that picture up so that you can see it now. And the sister captioned that photo, my, my sister's about to have a baby, and my brother showed up to the hospital wearing a suit and tie because he said, first impressions matter. Now, it's kind of ridiculous. That baby's going to have no idea that he's wearing a suit and tie when she meets him for the very first time. But it's also a great picture. It's a cute story. And that tweet, or whatever we're supposed to call it these days, went viral. It was liked by more than 400,000 different people. Now, you may be wondering what any of that has to do with us. Well, last Sunday here at Melbourne Heights, we started into a new series of sermons called Above All. And through this series, we're talking about what the Apostle Paul, the foremost missionary and theologian of the first century, refers to as the name above all names in Philippians 2, verse 9. So throughout the series, we're talking about some of the different names of God that we find inside of the Bible. And we're doing this because of something that an Old Testament scholar named Roy Honeycutt explains to us when he says, in ancient Israel, the name was the summation of one's character, the self-disclosure of a person. So we're talking about these names of God because they tell us who God is. Or to put it another way for you, when God reveals his name to us, God is revealing who he is to us. When God reveals his name to us, God is revealing who he is to us. So during our time together last Sunday, we started out by talking about the most commonly used name for God that we find in the entire Bible. This name is used more than 6,500 times, and it's the name Yahweh. And the name Yahweh derives from the Hebrew verb Hayah, which means to be. So typically when we translate the name Yahweh into English, we say that it means I am. But during our time together last Sunday, we saw that a better translation, better understanding of this, is that that name actually means, I am what I have done. So it means that Yahweh is a God that we cannot know for ourselves until we have experienced the work that God does in our world and in our lives. But the interesting thing about the name Yahweh is that even though it is the most commonly used name for God in the Bible, even though it's used more than 6,500 times, it's not the first name for God that's used in the Bible. I'm going to say that again because I don't want you to miss that. Even though Yahweh is the most commonly used name for God in the Bible, it's not the first name that God uses to introduce himself to us. Now what that means is that when God has the opportunity to make his first impression on us, God doesn't introduce himself as Yahweh. He doesn't introduce himself as, I am what I have done. So how does God introduce himself? What does God tell us his name is when he's making that very first impression? Well, let me show you. So if you've got a Bible close by or you've got an app on your phone, you can open it up to Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. That's right. We're going to be taking a closer look at the very first verse and the very first book in the entire Bible. And when you stop and you think about it for a second, it actually makes perfect sense. Because we believe that part of what the Bible does is it tells us who God is. And there is no better way for the Bible to start telling us who God is than to introduce us to God, to tell us God's name right at the very beginning. So we're going to take a look at Genesis 1, verse 1. But before we do, I'm going to go ahead and let you know that I'm going to read God's name in Hebrew, or at least as close to it as I can possibly get. 
So let's look at Genesis 1, verse 1 together, and see how God introduces himself. This is what it says. It says, In the beginning, Elohim created the heavens and the earth. So in Genesis 1, verse 1, we are introduced to God as Elohim. But what does the name Elohim mean? Well, this is where things start to get interesting because biblical scholars don't actually agree on what the name Elohim means. There are some biblical scholars who believe that the name Elohim comes from the Canaanite word El. And if that's the case, if that's where the name Elohim comes from, then it's just a generic name to refer to God. Kind of like when you call your car a car instead of calling it a Honda or a Toyota or whatever else you drive. But there are other scholars out there who think that the word Elohim comes from a Hebrew word, hol, which means strength or strong. So they believe that the name Elohim is telling us that God is the strong one. But there are other people out there who think that the name Elohim comes from a completely different Hebrew word, the word Eloah, which means fear. So they believe that Elohim is telling us that the name, that God is the one who is to be feared. But even though biblical scholars can't exactly agree on what the name Elohim means, there are at least a few different things that every biblical scholar agrees on when it comes to the name Elohim. So what can they agree on when it comes to this particular name for God? Well, the first thing that every biblical scholar agrees on is that the name Elohim is actually plural. Now, before you start freaking out and you think that I'm going to tell you that the name Elohim is actually telling us that there's more than one God, that's not what I'm saying at all. The reality is that even though the name Elohim is plural, every biblical scholar out there agrees that it is still talking about one and only one God. But they refer to the fact that the name Elohim is plural as being the plural of majesties, which is a great theological term, but it probably doesn't mean much to you. So what the plural of majesties really means is it's a fancy way of saying that God has majesty over all other gods. So our way of saying that God is the God above all other gods. And again, when you stop and you think about this for just a second, it actually makes a whole lot of sense that when God first introduces himself to us, that he wants to show us that he is the God who has majesty above all other gods, that he is the God that is above all other gods. Because when the book of Genesis was being written about 3,500 years ago or so, the majority of cultures in the world believed in multiple gods. They believed in a multitude of gods. And if you are at all familiar with like Greek or Roman mythology, you kind of understand how this works, even though Greek and Roman mythology didn't exist 3,500 years ago. But if you're familiar with it, then you understand that in like Greek mythology, that there are dozens, if not hundreds of major gods. Like in Greek mythology, you have the primordial gods. These were the gods that existed before the earth was created. So these gods are gods like Kronos, who is the god of time. And these gods are gods like Eros, who is the god of love. And you've got someone like Gaius, who is the goddess of the earth. And after the primordial gods in Greek mythology, then you move on to the Titans. And the Titans include gods like Hyperion, who is the god of light, and Phoebe, who is the goddess of prophecy. And after the Titans, you move on to the Olympic gods. And these are the ones that most of us are the most familiar with. The Olympic gods includes gods like Zeus, who is the god of the sky, and he's also the god over the entire pantheon of Olympic gods. And then you've got Poseidon, who's the god of the sea. You've got Hades, who's the god of the underworld, and way more gods than that. So it makes sense 
that from the very beginning that God is going to say that I am Elohim, that I am a God above all other gods, that I am a God who has majesty over all other gods, because God wants us all to understand from the beginning that God isn't just another God in the long list of gods that are out there in all of these different cultures. So from the very beginning, God says, no, that I am the God over all other gods. And he does that by telling us that his name is Elohim, this plural name saying, I am the God who has majesty over any other gods. So that's the first thing that the name, the, the biblical scholars can all agree on when it comes to the name Elohim. The second thing that biblical scholars can all agree on when it comes to this particular name for God is that you cannot truly understand and appreciate who Elohim is unless you also know and understand and appreciate what Elohim does in the creation account at the very beginning of the book of Genesis. So what I want us to do now is I want us to take another look at a few verses in Genesis 1 so that we can see what it is God does, what it is Elohim does in this first creation account that we find in Genesis chapter 1. So we're going to start back. We're going to take a look at Genesis 1 verse 1, and then we're going to skip around a little bit more in this chapter. So Genesis 1 verse 1 tells us that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And then if we skip down to Genesis 1, verse 27, we're told, so God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And then we'll jump ahead to Genesis 2, verse 3, the culmination of this account of creation at the beginning of the Bible, where we're told, then God blessed the seventh day, and he made it holy, because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he had done so what is it that god does in the creation story that we find in genesis 1 well i'm hoping it's pretty obvious for you what does god do god creates but god does so much more than just create in this passage and to really understand and appreciate what it is that God does in this passage, we actually have to know a little bit about that Hebrew word that is translated as create or created. And the Hebrew word that is used here is the word bara. And yes, if you're going to translate the Hebrew word bara into English, it's going to be translated as he creates or he created or something along those lines. But the really interesting thing about this Hebrew word is that it is only used in the Bible when it refers directly to God. So God is the only one, Elohim is the only one in the Bible who baras. So what this is telling us is that God is the only one who is capable of doing what God did when God created the world. No one else could do what God did when God created the heavens and the earth. No one else could do what God did when God created mankind. No one else could do what God did when God created the world. So when we meet, when we're introduced to this Elohim who Ra's at the beginning of the book of Genesis, we're introduced to a God who has no competition. Our God has no competition at all. 
And again, this is really important for us to know because of what we were talking about just a minute ago. When this book, when the book of Genesis was written 3,500 years ago, most cultures in the world believed in a multitude of gods. And this multitude of gods, they were all competing for love and loyalty from people. So if you spin back and you think about that example that I gave you from Greek mythology, what it means is that the god Zeus was competing with the god Poseidon for love and loyalty from people. And Poseidon was competing against Hades for love and loyalty from people. And Hades was competing against Zeus for love and loyalty for people. So when someone decided that they were going to worship Zeus, they were going to love Zeus, and they were going to be loyal to Zeus, well, they didn't have any love and loyalty to give to Poseidon or to give to Hades or give to any of these other gods. Well, from the very beginning, when God introduces himself to us as Elohim who Baraz, God wants us to understand that there is no competition when it comes to him. He is the God that is above all other gods. And he does something that no other God is capable of doing when he created the heavens and the earth. So God wants us to know right from the get-go that even though there are these multitude of gods that exist out there in this world that people believe in, that he is the only one who is worthy of their loyalty. He is the only God that is worthy of people's love. God is the only God for us. That's what God wants us to know when he introduces himself as Elohim who baras to us. There is no other God like him. There is no other God that we should worship besides him. So when God introduces himself as Elohim who baras to us, he is, uh, he is introducing himself to us and helping us understand him in a whole new way. God is the God above all. God is the God who does something that no one else is capable of doing when he created and that brings us to the third thing that all biblical scholars can agree on when it comes to the name Elohim and Elohim Hubaraz. And the third thing that they can all agree on is that this isn't just another name for God that we find inside of the Bible. Yes, the name Yahweh may be the most commonly used name for God we find in the Bible, but the name Elohim is the second most commonly used name for God. We find this used about 2,500 times, more than 2,500 times in the Bible. And it's also the very first name for God that we find in the Bible. And that tells us that this name, Elohim, is an important name for us to use to understand God because of the same thing we were talking about at the beginning of this message. You never get a second chance to make a first impression. So right out of the gate, God wants to introduce himself to us in a way that shows us who God is God introduces himself to us in a way that helps us understand what God is doing. But God also shows us, introduces himself to us in a way that shows how unique God is so that we don't try to confuse God with any of the other gods that other people out in the world believe in. And this actually reminds me of something that I had to do for a psychology class that I was taking during my freshman year of college. Now, the first day of this class, the professor walked in and she told us that she was going to be teaching psychology classes. She was an adjunct professor, so she was going to be teaching classes at the college I attended, Georgetown College, as well as the University of Kentucky. So she said that semester she was going to have a couple of hundred different students. She went on to tell us that most professors would use that as an excuse to just not to get to know any of the students that they had in class. But she didn't want to be that way. She wanted to try to get to know her students at least a little bit. 
So after she finished going over her syllabus with us that day, she said that she would let us all go home early, which is always good news when you're a college student. But she said well, she would let us go home early as long as we did something for her. So she reached out into a bag that she carried with her, and she pulled out a video camera. Now, this happened back in the spring of 2001. So when I say she pulled out a video camera, she didn't pull out a smartphone because they didn't exist yet. She pulled out like a bona fide, legit camcorder that she had to hold up on her shoulder. But she, when she pulled that out, she said, here's what I want to do. At the end of class, I'm going to let you guys go early. But before you leave, I need you to make a video for me. You're going to come. You're going to look directly into the camera. And you're going to tell me what your name is. And you're going to tell me one thing about you that makes you unique. Now, what she was asking us to do was she wanted us to come and introduce ourselves, but she also wanted us to do something to, to introduce ourselves that she couldn't confuse with any other student. She wanted to hear something about us that truly made us unique from all of the other hundreds of students that she would have that semester. Now, it's been more than 20 years ago since I had to do this assignment, and I don't actually still remember that professor's name, but I still remember exactly what I said when it was my turn to record that video. When it was my turn to record that video, I walked up to the professor. I stood, I looked directly at the camera she was holding. I said, my name is Adam Shell, and I have had more than 100 stitches put into my head. Now, some of you right now are thinking that explains a whole lot about me, and maybe you're right, but that's not the point of the story. The point of the story is that I had to think of something that I could tell that professor that was so unique about me that she couldn't possibly confuse me with any other student she had that semester. And it worked. When I came back to class the next day, or the next time we had class during the week, when she was going through roll call, she remembered exactly who I was and the, the fact that I had told about myself. Well, that's what God is doing for us in Genesis chapter 1. When God introduces himself as Elohim who baras to us at the beginning of Genesis 1, God wants to make a unique impression on us. God wants us to understand exactly who God is so that we cannot possibly forget it. So God introduces himself to us and God says, I am the God above all. And I am a God who can do things that no one else can do. And that's not something that's just true when it comes to creating the heavens and the earth. God is capable of doing so much more than any of us can possibly begin to imagine. God is a God who can help you find joy in your life, even when there seems to be nothing but despair around you. God is a God who can help you find hope in your life when there is nothing but sorrow surrounding you. God is a God who can help you find peace in your life when there is nothing but chaos that's going on around you. God is a God who can help you find love and acceptance in your life no matter how the people around you may be treating you. So from the very beginning, God wants us to know, I'm different. I'm not like these other gods that you have heard people talk about in the world around you. I am the God above all gods. And I do for you things that no one else could possibly do. That's who God is. Let's pray together. God, as we come to you, in this word of prayer. We are so thankful 
that you reveal yourself as this Elohim who baras to us in the book of Genesis. God, you know that there are so many things that we want to treat as a God in our lives, even though we no longer believe in the gods of Greek and Roman mythology, God. You know that we put work or money ahead of you and treat them like they're our gods. We, we put our prosperity, our belongings, we put relationships with other people. We want to treat so many other things like they are the ultimate in our lives. So God, we all need this reminder from time to time that you alone are God. You are the one above everything else. And you, God, are capable of doing things that no one else could possibly do. In a world that is filled with hatred, you are a God that helps us love. In a world that is filled with sorrow, you are a God who helps us find joy. In a world that is filled with chaos, you are a God who helps us find peace. In a world that is filled with despair, you are a God that can help us find hope. So God, thank you for showing us who you are. Thank you for reminding us that you are the only God for us. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, hey, it's Adam again, and I just want to thank you for tuning in to this episode of our sermon podcast. And I hope that this episode has helped you learn a little bit more about who God is. When God introduces himself as Elohim who baraz to us, God is telling us that he is the God above all gods and that God can do things that no one else can do. This is the God we put our faith in. Well, that's going to do it for this week's episode, but I hope that you come back and join us when our next episode drops. As always, if you subscribe to our podcast, that next episode will be sent straight to your favorite podcasting app, or you can come and worship with us live on our church website every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. Eastern Time at mhbclouisville.com slash live. And in our next episode, we're going to be talking about the name El Shaddai and seeing what that has to tell us about who God is. But until then, I hope that you have a great week. I will be praying for you and we'll see you back here soon for another sermon podcast.